Section 2 of Chateau and Country Life in France. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jen Broda. Chateau and Country Life in France by Mary King Waddington. Chapter 1 Chateau Life, Part 2. The most beautiful time for the forest is, of course, in the autumn. October and November are lovely months with the changing foliage, the red and yellow almost as vivid as in America, and always a foreground of moss and brown ferns, which grow very thick and high all through the forest. We used to drive sometimes over a thick carpet of red and yellow leaves, hardly hearing the horse's hooves or the noise of the wheels and when we turned our faces homeward toward the sunset there was really a glory of color in the wood and sky it was always curiously lonely we rarely met anything or any one occasionally a group of woodcutters or boys exercising dogs and horses from the hunting stables of Villers-Cotre. at long intervals we would come to a keeper's lodge standing quite alone in the middle of the forest generally near Cafour where several roads meet there was always a small clearing garden and kennels and a perfectly comfortable house but it must be a lonely life for the women when their husbands are off all day on their rounds i asked one of them once a pretty smiling young woman who always came out when the carriage passed with three or four children hanging to her skirts if she was never afraid being alone with small children and no possibility of help if any drunkards or evilly disposed men came along. She said no, that tramps and vagabonds never came into the heart of the forest, and always kept clear of the keeper's house, as they never knew where he and his gun might be. She said she had had one awful night with a sick child. She was alone in the house with two other small children, almost babies, while her husband had to walk several miles to get a doctor. The long wait was terrible. I got to know all the keeper's wives on our side of the forest quite well, and it was always a great interest to them when we passed on horseback. So few women rode in that part of France in those days. Sometimes when we were in the heart of the forest, a stag with wide-spreading antlers would bound across the road, sometimes a pretty roebuck would come to the edge of the wood and gallop quickly back as we got near we had a nice couple at the lodge an old cavalry soldier who had been for years coachman at the chateau and who had married a scotchwoman nurse of one of the children it was curious to see the tall gaunt figure of the scotchwoman always dressed in a short linsey skirt loose jacket and white cap in the midst of the chattering excitable women of the village she looked so unlike them our peasant women wear too a short thick skirt loose jacket and worsted or knit stockings but they all wear sabots on their heads in a turban made of bright-coloured cotton the older women of course the girls wear nothing on their heads they became bent and wrinkled very soon old women before their time having worked always in the fields and carried heavy burdens on their backs. The Scotchwoman kept much to herself and rarely left the park, but all the women came to her with their troubles. Nearly always the same story, 
the men spending their earnings on drink and the poor mothers toiling and striving from dawn till dusk to give the little ones enough to eat she was a strict protestant very taciturn and reserved quite the type of the old calvinist race who fought so hard against the scarlet woman when the beautiful and unhappy mary stuart was reigning in scotland and trying to rule her wild subjects i often went to see her and she would tell me of her first days at the chateau where everything was so different from what she was accustomed to she didn't tell me what madame a did that she was a very handsome girl and all the men of the establishment fell in love with her there were dramas of jealousy when she finally decided to marry the coachman our chef had learned how to make various english cakes in london and whenever he made buns or a plum pudding we used to take some to her she was a great reader and we always kept the times for her and she and i sympathized with each other two anglo-saxons married in france some of the traditions at the chateau were quite charming i was sitting in the lodge one day talking with madame antoine when the baker appeared with what seemed to me an extraordinary provision of bread i said does he leave the bread for the whole village with you it is not for me madame it is for the trainar tramps who pass on the road and she explained that all the chateau gave a piece of bread and two sous to any wayfarer who asked for food she cut the bread into good thick slices and showed me a wooden bowl on the chimney filled with two sous pieces while i was there two men appeared at the big gates which were always open in the day they were strong young fellows carrying their bundles and a sort of pitchfork slung over their shoulders they looked weary and footsore their shoes worn in holes they asked for something to drink and some tobacco didn't care much for the water which was all that madame antoine had to give them but thanked her civilly enough for the bread and sou. the park wall was a good vantage ground to see all and that wasn't much that went on on the high road the diligence to mont passed twice a day with a fine rattle of old wheels and chains and cracking of whips it went down the steep hill well enough but coming up was quite another affair all the passengers and the driver got out always and even then it was difficult to get the heavy cumbersome vehicle up the hill in winter particularly when the roads were muddy and slippery the driver knew us all well and was much interested in all that went on at the chateau he often brought parcels and occasionally people from the village who wanted to see w sometimes a blind piano tuner who came from vieille he was very kind to the poor blind man helped him down most carefully from the diligence and always brought him through the park gates to the lodge where he delivered him over to antoine it was curious to see the blind man at work once he had been led through the rooms he was quite at home found the pianos fussed over the keys and the strings exactly as if he saw everything he tuned all the pianos in the country and was much pleased to put his hands on one that wasn't fifty years old i had brought him down to my new era sometimes a country wedding passed and that was always a pretty sight a marriage is always an important affair in france in every class of life there are long discussions with all the members of the two families 
the curé the notary the patron if the young man is a workman are all consulted and there are as many negotiations and agreements in the most humble families as in the grand monde of faubourg saint germain almost all french parents gave a dot of some kind to their children and whatever the sum is either five hundred francs or two thousand it is always scrumptiously paid over to the notary the wedding day is a long one after the religious ceremony in the church all the wedding party members of the two families and a certain number of friends adjourn to the hotel of the little town for a breakfast which is long and most abundant then comes the crowning glory of the day a country walk along the dusty high road to some wood or meadow where they can spend the whole afternoon it is pretty to see the little procession trudging along the bride in all her wedding garments white dress white shoes wreath and veil the groom in a dress coat top hat white cravat and waistcoat with a white ribbon bow on his sleeve almost all the girls and young women are dressed in white or light colors the mothers and grandmothers the whole family turns out in black with flowers in their bonnets there is usually a fiddler walking ahead making the most remarkable sounds on his old cracked instrument and the younger members of the party take an occasional gallop along the road they are generally very gay there is much laughing and from time to time a burst of song it is always a mystery to me how the bride keeps her dress and petticoat so clean but she does with that extraordinary knack all frenchwomen seem to have of holding up their skirts they passed often under the wall of the chateau for a favorite resting-place was in our woods in the entrance of the allee verte where it widens out a little the moss makes a beautiful soft carpet and the big trees give perfect shade we heard sounds of merriment one day when we were passing and we stopped to look on from behind the bushes where we couldn't be seen there was quite a party assembled the fiddler was playing some sort of country dance and all the company except the very old people were dancing and singing some of the men indulging in the most wonderful steps and capers the children were playing and running under the trees one stout man was asleep stretched out full length on the side of the road i fancy his piquette as they call the ordinary white wine of the country had been too much for him the bride and groom were strolling about a little apart from the others quite happy and lover-like his arm around her waist she blushing and giggling the gendarmes passed also very regularly they always stopped and talked had a drink with antoine and gave all the local news how many brocconniers poachers had been caught how long they were to stay in prison how some of the farmers sheep had disappeared no one knew how exactly there were no more robbers one day two of them passed dragging a man between them who had evidently been struggling and fighting his blouse was torn and there was a great gash on his face we were wildly excited of course they had told us he was an old sinner a poacher who had been in prison various times but these last days not contented with setting traps for the rabbits he had set fire to some of the haystacks and they had been hunting for him for some time he looked a rough customer had an ugly scowl on his face 
one of the little hamlets near the chateau on the canal was a perfect nest of poachers and i had continual struggles with the keepers when i gave clothes or blankets to the women and children they said some of the women were as bad as the men and that i ought not to encourage them to come up to the house and beg for food and clothing that they sold all the little jackets and petticoats we gave them to the canal hands also a bad lot for brandy i believe it was true in some cases but in the middle of winter with snow on the ground we were hardly warm in the house with big fires everywhere i couldn't send away women with four or five children all insufficiently clothed and fed most of them in cotton frocks with an old worn knit shawl around their shoulders legs and arms bare and chapped half frozen some of them lived in the caverns or great holes in the rocks really like beasts on the road to la ferte there was a big hole there is no other word for it in the bank where a whole family lived the man was always in prison for something and his wife a tall gaunt figure with wild hair and eyes spent most of her time in the woods teaching her boys to set traps for the game the cure told us that one of the children was ill and that there was literally nothing in the house so i took one of my cousins with me and we climbed up the bank leaving the carriage with hubert the coachman expostulating seriously below we came to a rickety old door which practically consisted of two rotten planks nailed together it was ajar clouds of black smoke poured out as we opened it and it was some time before we could see anything we finally made out a heap of filthy rags in one corner near a sort of fire made of charred pieces of black peat two children one a boy about twelve years old was lying near the heap of rags coughing his heart out he hardly raised his head when we came in another child a girl some two years younger was lying beside him both of them frightfully thin and white one saw nothing but great dark eyes in their faces the mother was crouched on the floor close to the children she hardly moved at first and was really a terrifying object when she got up half savage scarcely clothed a short petticoat in holes and a ragged bodice gaping over her bare skin no shoes or stockings big black eyes set deep in her head and a quantity of unkempt black hair she looked enormous when she stood up her head nearly touching the roof i didn't feel very comfortable but we were two and the carriage and hubert within call the woman was civil enough when she saw i had not come empty-handed we took her some soup bread and milk the children pounced upon the bread like little wild animals the mother didn't touch anything while we were there said she was glad to have milk for the boy i never saw human beings living in such utter filth and poverty a crofter's cottage in scotland or an irish hovel with pigs and children all living together was a palace compared to that awful hole i remonstrated vigorously with w and the mayor of la ferte for allowing people to live in that way like beasts upon the high road close to a perfectly prosperous country town however they were vagrants couldn't live anywhere for when we passed again some days later there was no one in the hole the door had fallen down there was no smoke coming out 
and the neighbors told us the family had suddenly disappeared. The authorities then took up the matter. The holes were filled up, and no one was allowed to live in them. It really was too awful, like the dwellers in caves of primeval days. We didn't have many visits at the chateau, though we were so near Paris, only about an hour and a half by the express. But the old people had got accustomed to their quiet life, and visitors would have worried them. Sometimes a Protestant pasteur would come down for two days. We had a nice visit once for Monsieur de Prosence, father of the present deputy, one of the most charming cultivated men one could imagine. He talked easily and naturally using beautiful language. He was most interesting when he told us about the Commune and all the horrors of that time in Paris. He was in the Tuileries when the mob sacked and burned the palace, saw the femme de la Halle sitting on the brocade and satin sofas, saying, C'est nous les princesses maintenant, saw the entrance of the troops from Versailles and the quantity of innocent people shot who were merely standing looking on at the barricades, having never held a gun in their hands. The only thing I didn't like was his long extempore, to me familiar, prayers at night. I believe it is a habit of some old-fashioned French Protestant families to pray for each member of the family by name. I thought it was bad enough when he prayed for the new menage, just beginning their married life, that was us, that they might be spiritually guided to do their best for each other and their respective families. But when he proceeded to name some others of the family who had strayed a little from the straight and narrow path, hoping they would be brought to see by divine grace the error of their ways, I was horrified and could hardly refrain from expressing my opinion to the old people. However, I was learning prudence, and when my opinion and judgment were diametrically opposed to those of my new family, which happened often, I kept them to myself. Sunday was strictly kept. There was no Protestant church anywhere near. We had a service in the morning in Monsieur A.'s library. He read prayers and a short sermon, all the household appearing, as most of the servants were Swiss and Protestants. In the afternoon, Madame A. had all the village children at the chateau. She had a small organ in one of the rooms in the wing of the dining room, taught them hymns, and read them simple little stories. The curé was rather anxious at first, having his little flock under such dangerous heretic influence, but he very soon realized what an excellent thing it was for the children, and both he and the mothers were much disappointed when anything happened to put off the lesson. They didn't see much of the curé. He would pay one formal visit in the course of the year, but there was never any intimacy. We lived much for ourselves, and for a few months in the year it was a rest and change from Paris and the busy, agitated life, social and political, that one always led there. I liked the space, too, the great high, empty rooms with no frivolous little tables and screens or stuff on the walls, no photograph stands nor fancy vases for flowers no bibelots of any kind, large heavy pieces of furniture which were always found every morning in exactly the same place. Once or twice in later years I tried to make a few changes, 
but it was absolutely useless to contend with a wonderful old servant called ferdinand who was over sixty years old and had been brought up at the chateau had always remained there with the various owners and who knew every nook and corner of the house and everything that was in it it was years before i succeeded in talking to him i used to meet him sometimes on the stairs and corridors always running and carrying two or three pails and brooms if he could he dived into any open door when he saw me coming and apparently never heard me when i spoke for he never answered he was a marvellous servant cleaned the whole house opened and shut all the windows night and morning almost work enough for one man lit the calorifères scrubbed and swept and polished floors from early dawn until ten o'clock when we left the salon he never lived with the other servants cooked his own food at his own hours in his room and his only companion was a large black cat which always followed him about he did w's service and w said that they used to talk about all sorts of things but i fancy master and servant were equally reticent and understood each other without many words i slipped one day on the very slippery wooden steps leading from w's little study to the passage baby did the same and got a nasty fall on the stone flags so i asked w if he would ask ferdinand to put a strip of carpet on the steps there were only four w gave the order but no carpet appeared he repeated it rather curtly the old ferdinand made no answer but grumbled to himself over his broom that it was perfectly foolish and useless to put down a piece of carpet that for sixty years people and children and babies had walked down those steps and no one had ever thought of asking for carpets w had really rather to apologize and explain that his wife was nervous and unused to such highly polished floors however we became great friends afterward ferdinand and i and when he understood how fond i was of the chateau he didn't mind my deranging the furniture a little two grand pianos were a great trial to him i think he would have liked to put one on top of the other the library quite at one end of the house separated from the drawing-room we always sat in by a second large salon was a delightful quiet resort when anyone wanted to read or write there were quantities of books french english and german all the classics in all three languages and a fine collection of historical memoirs end of section two